in the middle of this of some of the most profound scriptures ever penned, God gives us this amazing assurance. Romans eight thirty one, the second half of it. If God is for us, who can be against us? It was interesting that Jamie read that passage of Romans eight out this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that. On one side, in the red corner, you've got the Almighty God. And on the other side, in the blue corner, you've got whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is you're coping with, in the blue corner. But when you think about that, how insignificant is the blue corner when you look at their opponent in the light of Jesus Christ? the God of heaven and earth. Our anxieties, the things, the fears, the the very uh, nature of the world that tries to pull us down is quite insignificant when when we come to an understanding of who God is. Amen? Last week, through the ministry of Pastor Ian Miller, we as a church body encountered the heart of the Father God for us. In simplicity of hearing of the gospel, we, those who are called by his name, respond to the heart of God. John 3.16, for those who weren't here, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 continues, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in the red corner we have God, who not only loves the world, but decided that he would do something about that love that would bring complete salvation, and the word is sozo, into your life. And on the other hand, He didn't do it because he wanted to condemn you. He did it because he wanted to free you. He wanted to show you how much he loves you. So that in believing in Jesus Christ, you may be saved through him. It is right here where we engage with the heart of the Father and respond to his loving grace and call. The very moment someone encounters a God who is for them and not condemning them, not judging their behavior, but reaching through eternity to save them from all and every impossible predicament. Just look, even last week, and I I don't mean to embarrass you, my brother, but Colin walked up here last week and responded to the call as the Holy Spirit moved on his heart. I don't know about you, but I reckon there was probably a good 20% of the church that were in tears. When Colin stood here and our brother, Pastor Rodney, had his arm around him and he led him to Christ. And you see, it is this encounter with a God who does not condemn that causes the heart to respond. And this is where we are positioned for this month's series entitled Understanding God. Our vision for this month's series is not to get bogged down in the intense theological study of God, which we could spend our entire humanity only to scratch the surface of who he is, but really to looking at getting practical and personal. The big idea really is this, and I'll put it up there for you to see. When we're understanding God, God in reality is beyond the limit of our finite mind and understanding. But he has revealed himself to us and we know him as Father, Saviour and Counselor. If you've been following along, if you've read your newsletter article this month, that Pastor Rodney had that exact statement within his newsletter. That is the heart of this series of understanding God. That God in reality is beyond the limit of our finite minds and understandings. But should that stop us understanding him? By no means. 
Each day, each moment, he draws us deeper into a relationship with him. He draws us deeper into understanding him so that we are empowered to live in victory in our life. A bit of a key text when we're planning this series out that uh, really spoke to me. <clears throat> might just pull back one there. It starts in Mark's Gospel, and Jesus is approached by, <clears throat> by the Pharisees. And in Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, he's asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? And uh, Jesus just didn't hesitate. Straight away, he says, the most important is, hero Israel, hero Israel the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then the, the focal text for us. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Verse 31, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You think about that. Let's look at that passage of Scripture that's just written right there. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Don't get caught up in the English language that's used around that. And I'm not even going to unpack it going into the Greek when it comes to what Jesus is talking about. But think about it. How does one love God with their everything? Who struggles with this? Be honest. I do. And you know what? The way I think about things, if I struggle with something, I go and do the exact opposite. Who's like that? <clears throat> I had to break that rebellious spirit in my life a long time ago, right? Because that's what the flesh does. It, it, it wants you to do the opposite of what you can't do, okay? So don't push the red button. Okay, I'm going to go and push the red button. Okay. It's kind of like that, isn't it? It is impossible possible for you to fulfill that scripture it is impossible for you to fill that commandment it is impossible so stop trying because that's what actually happens we get so caught up in trying to fulfill the commands of god that we actually stumble over our own efforts and fall completely short of his standard how do we love with everything? I even struggle with this even in my own family. How do I love them with everything? Because you get into an argument or, or something with one of the kids and you're just like, oh, they're so frustrating. But then you come back to your senses and you realize how much you love them and you go and you give them a hug. But in that moment, I didn't feel like hu hugging them, right? And just confessions of a dad, straight up, okay? How do you love someone with everything? As people with all sorts of life experiences, differing worldviews and upbringings, how can I love God and my fellow brothers and sisters with my everything? It's impossible. I might as well give up and go home now. Or should we? Why would we even want to love God with our everything? I could justify my reasoning as to why I don't want to love the person who abused me, the person who failed me, the person who discriminated against me, or the person who ridicules me. Why should I love that person? But yet Jesus commands it, because the second is like the first. Therefore, with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. Impossible. I look around here and I see people I love dearly, but I don't love you with everything. But right away I'm commanded that I should. See the conundrum that we're in. See the, the problem that we have. See why it's really hard to understand God. Because he tells us to do things that in our own self is impossible. The most freeing thing you may hear today is that you can't. I'll say that again. 
You can't love God with your everything. You can try, but you can't. You can try all you like, but the reality is, you need to hear this, without the grace of God in your life, you fail miserably every time. And we are no different than anyone else. Because in our attempts and in our own effort to love God, we will always fall short of His glorious standard. So, let me free you today by saying stop trying. I jumped on a lot of our guys for a while there, for a little while. I just need to. I just need to. I just need to. I just need to. Who's heard that? In their justification of themselves, I just need to do this, or I just need to do that. You don't just need to do anything. You need to have faith in the grace of God. There's a massive difference in mindset right there. And this is the good news. As the Father's heart is toward you, for you and extravagantly pursuing you, He made the way possible for you. His name is Jesus. Colossians 1 tells us this. It tells us of the mystery revealed. And that's not the mystery in the way we look at it. It's the mystery in that God has kept this secret until this dispensation. Until this time, for such a time as this. This mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So you can try and love God with all of your heart and all of your mind, all of your soul, and I can try and love Jamie with exactly the same amount of passion as I try and love God. But he'll let me down. And I'll let God down because I can't do that. Does that make sense? The good news is the hope of glory is Christ in you because he is so perfect that he can't not love the Father on your behalf. He is so able to fulfill every command, especially the Ten Commandments. Did He not fulfill every one of them? Did He not love the Father so much that He would die in your place? Did He not love you so much that He would die in your place? So Christ in you, the hope of glory, the very one who is resident within you right now, gives you the ability to love God with your everything. Not based upon your own, mef- your own merit or effort, but based wholly and solely upon what He did for you at Calvary. That is the good news. Christianity is not about laws and regulations. It's not about fulfilling rules. Christianity is about letting the Christ that is in you envelop and overflow out of you that you can love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we get that perspective, we start to walk in what we call freedom. The good news is that Jesus died as your representative. He died on your behalf, and now the life we live is a life of faith in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It is in faith that he has sealed us into his family. And with the seal of the Holy Spirit, who now resides within us, gracing us to live in his power, the power that overcomes the world, the power that overcomes the flesh, and continually in outworking Christ-likeness in us. Write it this way. To love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength is to submit completely to him that all his heart, mind, soul and strength becomes the means or the grace to achieve. And let me leave that statement open for you. Because I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul and strength because of Christ who is in me, who has now graced me to achieve everything, to overcome sin in my life. He has graced me to overcome hatred in my life. He has graced me to overcome anger in my life. He's graced me to overcome poverty in my life. He's graced me to walk free and no longer captive by the things that would hold me down. The words of my loving family who meant well but pulled me down. 
He in me is the one who sets me completely free and empowers me with his grace, or in other words, with the means to achieve all he's asked me to do. Jesus, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But you know what? I know you can't do that, so I'll come and live within you so that you can. How good news is that? How much does that give you joy in your heart this morning? You can't do it. That's why he gives you Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's called grace to overcome. I cannot do the things I do if I was not full of the grace of God in my life. If the heart of God is for us and for his kingdom's advancement through us, and he has supplied the grace that is the means to accomplish his will on earth as in heaven, then my next question is not what, but how do I get on board? It's not about what you do for God. It's about your position of receiving by God through faith. Receiving of God through faith, by faith. How do you get on board? You believe. Salvation sets you into the promises of God, but the Holy Spirit is tasked with empowering us to overcome us and release others into their destiny. For this to take place, we must begin to understand the mind of Christ. Let me put this up for you again. The mind of Christ. The heart of God radically positions us for favor. The mind of Christ brings us the strategies required to overcome and bring transformation. The mind of Christ positions us to receive the wisdom of Christ and live above our own flesh. The heart of God radically positions you for favor. His kindness is so much toward you. Like Jamie was saying, we feel like we want to run because of his kindness and love toward us. But it's the heart of God, the Father heart that we looked at last week, that sense that he would send his son into the world to die for us, that should draw us into him. The heart of God draws us into a place to receive the empowerment of the mind of Christ in us. It's the heart of God that opens the way that you and I can have the wisdom from above to outwork his will and purpose for our lives. Not Steve's will and purpose for your life, his will for your purpose in life. Okay? Here's an example. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and acceptable, uh, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sounds like you need to do some work. But it's actually what I'm talking about. It's allowing the mind of Christ to overcome every fear, anxiety, and desire that is ungodly in your life to become part of who you are. The mind of Christ will set you free if only you would step into what he has for you. Spiritual wisdom. This is, when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about spiritual maturity. Okay, God saves us. He graces us to overcome and walk free. Yet, you and I must choose to live free and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 With maturity comes wisdom. True or not? Have you ever tried to get into someone's head? There's a question for you. Who's tried? I've tried. You ever tried to get into someone's head? You ever tried to understand your spouse or your child or your parent? Um, have you ever tried to understand your work colleague? You ever tried to understand your teacher or your principal? Right? You, that's trying to get into someone's head because they're thinking very differently to how you're thinking. Okay? I try and do that all the time. You know me? The passage I'm about to read you is going to give us some insight into this a little bit. And, and uh, I need to move through this real quickly. I'm apologizing because I'm taking a little bit of time. but. 
I want to read through this really quickly with us and just try and bring a little bit of openness. So I'm going to come down here. Is that all right? Cool. And I, brethren, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. You can open your Bibles up there. It would be awesome if you follow along. It's in the New King James today. It says this, Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And I, this is Paul, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. What's he saying? I didn't come to you with the wisdom of the world or with a great um, oratory experience. I came for I determined before I got to you not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Who wants that in their life? Yeah? My preaching was not in human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's available for us. Now we are in this. This is the gospel. This is the dispensation of the time. This is what we are living in. The Holy Spirit was poured upon all flesh so that you could be conduits of his goodness, conduits of his power, that you could bring heaven from down into this earthly place and set people free. So Paul's giving us his outline. I didn't come to you, Corinthian church, because, because I came in my own wisdom. I came to you in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I demonstrated that to you that your faith should be in the wisdom or should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God and I think people have been told in the church that God is no longer powerless since the closing of the Bible and the canonizing of it God is just as powerful today as he ever was Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. And if this was happening to the Corinthian church around 60 or 50, 40 years, somewhere around there after the Christ's death, if this was happening in their life, then, then it should be happening now. Because the same Jesus who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands in Revelation is the same Jesus as walking through our midst right now. He doesn't change. And he's given you the Holy Spirit not to think worldly wisdom, but to walk out the wisdom of God in your life and the power of God in your life. Continuing, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So when we come to church, we're maturing. We talk about stuff, the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. We, we, we try to get to understand what God's saying through the word. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. There's that word, mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. And that's again, not the mystery like we're thinking, uh, Mystery Inc., Scooby-Doo, who's behind the mask, right? It's not talking about that. It's that which God had hidden for today's day, for the time for such as this. And that is Christ in us, as Colossians tells us, the hope of glory. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Okay? The Roman rulers, the religious rulers, all of those in the time of Paul and Jesus and all that, they did not know the wisdom that came from God. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Right there it tells us why God hid it as a mystery. Because if they'd known that Jesus was God, and he was pretty open about it if you read the, 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 the Gospels, pretty clear about the fact that he was God. If they had known what God was going to do through him, they had known that he had to die upon the cross in their own wisdom, they would not have crucified him. They would have put him on a throne and worshipped him. But you and I would not be here today if Jesus didn't die on that cross. That was, the, that was the temptation of the devil, wasn't it? Yeah, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. But Jesus could have been right there, right then, without going through the, the pain of the cross. Right there, right then. Could have been the Lord of all the world. 
but he still would have been under Satan. But see, the, Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. Why? Because he walked through that. He walked through the shadow of death, the valley. He walked to that cross, and he took it like a sheep to slaughter. He didn't whinge. He didn't cry in the context that he whined his way out of there. He might have screamed in a lot of pain. He didn't cry, get me out of here, get me out of here. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And some of you think God's forsaken you this morning. But right on that cross, Jesus took your forsakenness. I don't know what that, if that's a word, but Jesus took that for you. So that in Christ, you can be filled. So they would have not separated it. This is getting to understand God a little bit in his wisdom, right? He hides it in a mystery. He hides the fact that he's going to destroy the works of the enemy and destroy the works of death. He's going to destroy the grave by crucifying his son. That's the wisdom of the mystery of God. So that Jesus couldn't be put up on that pedestal and worshipped without going through the cross. We'll continue a little there. 9 and 10. But as is it, as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Meditate on that for a minute. Your heart and your mind has no idea what God has in store for you. The kindness, the goodness, the freedom that is available to you in Christ. And we get tripped up over having to do things all the time. But God's heart is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Remember the red corner and the blue corner? The blue corner is insignificant to the fact that God is for you. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You cannot own your own inner thoughts from what other people's perspective is of you. Only you, and your spirit within you know the depths of what you are thinking about, are concerned with, or who God's called you to be. Only you, right? Unless there's this prophetic image over your life that someone sees and calls out, no one understands the depth of who you are but the spirit that's within you. It is exactly the same with God's spirit. You cannot understand God without the Spirit of God revealing the innermost cry of His heart to you. It's the same thing. The Spirit of God makes known to us the mystery of God in His will for our life. It's the Spirit of God who fills you with the dreams and the desires of God's heart and then graces you to overcome whatever situation you need to overcome so that you can fulfill God's purpose in your life. We'll keep moving. 11 to 13. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. I just said that. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Who's going to say amen to that? I've got the spirit of God in my life that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's what we're talking about. Understanding God, He gives you freely an understanding of who He is by the Spirit of God in your life. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And the last bit, it's a bit of a marathon, but I needed to get it all through. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. You ever felt it funny praying to God? Trying to instruct God? Trying to tell him what to do? Right here is this comparison, this parallel. You might try and instruct God from the desires of your own heart. And that'll get you nowhere. But you can try and instruct God from the mind of Christ and therefore partner with what he's doing in your life that you find breakthrough. Three kinds of men this passage talks about. Firstly, we need to understand more of what Paul's perspective is. Paul is looking at a church full of power, yet devoid of maturity and wisdom. He sees a church, the Corinthian church, so full of sin. Right? If you read the, through the book of Corinthians, you'll understand what he's writing. And in dire need of truth. And he approaches this passage revealing an insight into humanity that we need to touch on really quickly today. The first is the natural or the unregenerate man. This man, or woman, let me just use the term man, okay, as an inclusive term this morning. Unable to receive from God. Unable. Impossible. Unable to spiritually discern because his spirit is dead. Dead. Like, not under a cloud, not hidden, spiritually dead. Like Adam was spiritually dead when he was kicked out of the garden. Spiritually dead. Unable to see the things of God, literally having no knowledge or interest in the gospel. No knowledge or interest in the gospel. That is why we need the understanding and the insight of Christ to lead them to Jesus. That's why sharing the gospel, evangelism, is a work of the Spirit and we're in partnership with the Spirit. This is why evangelism is a privilege because nowhere else do you partner with God with his heart's cry, his deepest heart's cry. Nowhere else more so than in sharing the gospel. The second that Paul speaks of in this passage is the spiritual or the regenerate man. This man, or most of us in this room, we possess the spirit, the spirit of God in our life. He, he breathes upon us and we become alive in Christ. We become born again we we're growing in wisdom and maturing in christ likeness you might look at me sometimes and question that but it's true we are the natural man does not understand the spiritual man can't understand that that man is free of strife can't understand that that man why that man is free of dissensions and that's sometimes why they come to you to ask you those questions. Why does your life seem like it's all together and mine's in turmoil? Yeah? So that's the spiritual or the regenerate man. Thirdly, this is the one that people miss. Because a lot of Christians, they go back and they say, you know, you're either born again or you're not. It's kind of black and white. You're either saved or you're not. You're either going to heaven when Jesus returns or you're not, right? That's fair. I can, I can understand that. It's quite black and white. But what about the man in the middle? What about the carnal man who has made a decision of faith and therefore is saved but is still playing around and fooling around with the things of the world, right? It's not all black and white. There's a little bit of gray in there somewhere, and I used to hate the word gray that reason because I was a carnal man I was doing the things that pleased me and not the things that pleased God but let me tell you I gave my life to Jesus at nine years old and he never let me forget that ever he would remind me when I was doing the things that I was doing he would tap me on the shoulder by his Holy Spirit and saying this this is unbecoming of you this is not who you are you're grieving the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And I dare anyone to argue with me that I wasn't going to heaven. Because my salvation is secure. But I was walking around in a carnality of life. And we forget the fact that even in churches today, even sitting here today, there are people who are walking in carnality. And when we mention it, the heckles get up on your back. The pastor's pointing his finger at me again. But the truth of the reality is it's not. It's the consciousness of God within your heart that's calling you and saying, hey, I've called you to be holy and not only to be holy, but I've graced you to overcome every trial in your life. This carnal man, Paul talks about in the next chapter, chapter 3, where he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Oh, give me meat, pastor. Give me meat, pastor. Who's heard that before? Who said that before? And then Paul comes back with this whole sense. If you weren't living carnal in your life, I could give you meat. I could talk to you about the things of God, but I've got to keep telling you that God loves you that he's for you and he's not against you. See how it works? God is for you. He's not against you. I'm giving you milk. I'm trying to encourage you. But in the middle of it, I'm going to give you something to chew on. And they say, in the name of Jesus, carnality come off your life and start walking to the things of God. The carnal man is regenerate but living as though he is not. These people may attend church, or they may not. They may be only Sunday Christians. They may occasionally pray, but have no real relationship with Father. Their hearts are still seeking after their own will and not God's. The gospel was accepted, but never extended. And there's a word for someone today. If you've never shared the gospel with anyone, there's an element of carnality in your life that you need to die to because you're crucified with Christ. He has set you free. You need to share the gospel with someone to start seeing fruit in your life. Verse 16 is the key for us today. We have the mind of Christ. Instantly it is ours. When we make the decision to respond to the gospel, Jesus not only sets us free, but he comes and indwells us by his Holy Spirit. The spirit of man is regenerated and instantly in relation with the mind of Christ. Instantly. I believe the issue for us then is that our minds are used to ruling and we love to make decisions of what makes us feel good over what is God's will. The, the regenerate man, the regenerate woman has to come to this place of submission unto God so that the mind of Christ and the will of God becomes one with who we are. How do we do this? I need to get to this really quickly. This is where Romans 12, 2 really kicks in. This is where we need to say, keep saying in faith, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Even while I'm living carnally, if I confess, if we confess ourselves to God, genuinely seeking his will and speaking his life over our circumstances. Eventually, what is reality here in the word will become reality within our minds. I have the mind of Christ. I am free. I am the righteousness of Christ. Jesus died that I may be completely free. Right? I start confessing those over my life, even while I'm playing around with the things in the world. And all of a sudden, conviction becomes part of who you are. And you're like, this is not who I am. And by grace, you walk away from it, not trying to do anything. See, that's maturity. God, three things. Remember, I asked you to try and get, I asked you before if you've ever tried to get into someone's mind. Remember that? 
How do we get into the mind of God? How do we get into the mind of Christ? How do we understand him when we can't even understand those around us? I sat there last week. I was up at Transformations on the Gold Coast and I sat in this uh, thing, uh, session. They call it issue session. Sometimes these sessions go for six or eight hours of drug addicts who are overcoming their addictions, bringing issues up against each other from the house where they're living in. And it was real insight into the way people think. It was a really godly moment because we're sitting in that moment and uh, I was sitting there in the seat because I was invited to sit in with them and listen just to see how the program, that part of the aspect of the program worked. And I remember sitting there thinking, listening to this one guy and I just connected with the heart of God to him like the prodigal son. This This was the prodigal son coming home. And right now he's at stage three in his in his program, but he was just letting it all hang out this day because you can imagine what the question was. The question was, so guys, 20 guys sitting in the room, how was your Father's Day? This guy's got three kids. You can see him for Father's Day. His mum, their, their mum's taken him off down to South Australia. You can imagine what he was going through. And it brought up issues because he was coming out sideways at people all the time that week. He nearly got into a punch-up with some other guy that day the day before and he's just like sharing his heart and I'm just like wow God he's the prodigal son straight away God just highlighted that to me and then they're talking about some other issues and three, two seats over another guy was talking about his life and, and God said he's the son who stayed home and I'm like it was so insightful God's heart was so insightful for these people and I didn't have time to share it with them because I know they're going through all that stuff themselves but I saw this picture of the prodigal son. And I saw this picture of the son who stayed home who resented God because of all these things. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I getting extremely sad? Because in this moment, I'm loving it, right? If you know me, this is, this is what I thrive on, okay? I love that sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, this is awesome. Listen to these guys talk. And all of a sudden, I got really, really sad and like I was about to cry. I'm even getting sad now. And there was this one guy, it was, he was nearly his turn. And he shares this one thing. And it comes out that he, he's angry with God. Extremely angry with God. I'm taking too much time. He's angry with God and he's just like, you know, I'm angry with God. And he's like, why? Tomorrow's the anniversary of my daughter's death. And here I am feeling his pain. So you want to get into the heart of God. You want to understand who God is. You want to know about him. you actually got to put down your opinions of people. You've got to put down your assessments of people. You've got to put down your own fears and your own hurts and your own all sorts of things. Do you mind if I take communion? Thanks. You've got to actually put down the walls that you've put up to protect yourself. Oh, we've all done that. But those walls, they're carnality. Because God doesn't want you to protect yourself from Him. He doesn't want you to deflect Him. He doesn't want you to keep people at arm's distance because you know, that person might be the mind of Christ for you in that moment. God wants you to be set free of all of those things. And when you are, You then get to hear God. You get the grace of hearing God's heart for that person and what they're going through. And when you think about that, you realize how privileged you are to know Jesus and how privileged you are to be set free in Him. You see, you want to get into the mind of people, you need to get into the mind of Christ. I'm going to ask our stewards to hand these out to people. Our inbox. It's three things. To get into the mind of Christ, we need to understand. This is us being practical right now. God gives us insight through His Word. You want to get into the mind of Christ? You've got to understand the wisdom of God. You've got to understand the heartbeat of God. You've got to understand what makes Him tick. You've got to understand what He says over your life and what He says about the person sitting next to you. You want to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. You can't do it if you don't understand who he is. 
And he says this in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and sweet among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Therefore, it's not black and white words. It's not black words on white paper. It's not red words that Jesus spoke. The word is personal. The word is Jesus Christ. And to understand him, you've got to read your Bible with Jesus interpreting it to you. How do you do that? His name's the Holy Spirit. God gives you the Holy Spirit so you can understand. You can understand him. So you can understand the mind of Christ. You want to understand people. You want to understand how to love the person next to you. You want to understand how to love God. You've got to understand who he is. And you can't do it by only having one meal a week. You've got to hear a word and let it permeate who you are. The second is, really quickly, God gives insight through the person of Jesus. It's not just good enough that we read the word and get it into us. But the person of Jesus, and I already alluded to, alluded to this, Jesus walked amongst the earth. He knows what you feel because he's experienced it himself. The, the mum who can't have a child. Do you think he knows that? Because at 30 years old, he should have been married. And if he wanted to walk in his flesh... He could have had a child because he was human. But he chose to walk in a higher calling, and that was in the power of the Holy Spirit. He chose that, and he let it go. He let go of the fact that he would never, ever have the touch or the intimacy with his wife, with a wife. He let that go. That was Now, that for a guy, that's reality, isn't it? To say that you are going to be celibate for your entire life, that you're never going to know the love of a woman, is reality. But he did it. And you might be struggling as a single man or a single woman thinking you're never, ever, ever going to have, have that intimacy with someone. Well, he understands that because he walked it. But if we're going to be all high and mighty up there saying, Jesus doesn't understand me, we're never going to get an understanding of who he is. And we're never going to let that area go and trust that God has our best in interest and heart. We'll never let it go and it will always dog us and we'll always walk in carnality in that area. And you know what we'll do? As a guy I know, if there's an itch, we'll go and scratch it. Is that true? Right? So you think, okay, I can't overcome this sexual sin in my life. But that's because you've never given it over to Jesus who overcame it in your life. Do you understand? Every area that, he, that you have been tempted in, every area that you struggle in, Jesus overcame it. He knows it personally, intimately, and then he says, I give you the power to overcome it if only you would trust me. But we've got to overcome our carnality and stop scratching those itches. Seriously. Like, seriously, we can't do it anymore. You want to know, you want to let go and trust that God's going to use you as a, as a vessel of his goodness to this world. You need to let those things go in your life. God gives you insight through the person of Jesus Christ. How do I know this? John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For that all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You should go and share the gospel. And in that, the fruit will come and it will abide forever. So that Whatever you ask in my Father, in my name, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You are his friend, and he desires to make the mind and heart of God known to you. He reveals the Father, which stills our heart 
because we begin to understand our purpose, to know God and to make him known. And when you know Jesus overcome every trial and every temptation, when the enemy comes at you and stop, tries to get you to do something that you know is totally against the character and nature of God, you push into Jesus more and you will overcome. You push into Jesus more. If you need to go around and knock on a neighbor's door and say, can I just have communion with you because I'm struggling in this one area of my life, then you go and do it. You push in more. You pray with that person and you, you overcome that desire, whatever it is. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. The last thing is, and this is one of the most important things that I think I can say today. And that's why I'm taking my time, because I want you to hear it. I want you to go back and listen to it again on the website during the week. I want you to get it into your spirit that you have the mind of Christ and that in partnering with the mind of Christ, you will have victory and you will overcome and you will hit a place that is called breakthrough that you've been searching for. Brian Pickering from the Australian Prayer Network taught us this last year. Prayer is an activity of God that requires the cooperation of man in order to fulfill God's heart's desires. That blew my mind when he taught me that. Blew my mind. Prayer is an activity of God that requires the cooperation of man in order to fulfill God's heart's desires. How many times do we approach God with our list, with our heart's desires, Who's ever asked for that red Lamborghini? That's the easiest thing. Yeah, look, Angus is the only honest one in the room, right? You know what I'm saying, though. You ask God for these things all the time. You want to see answers to your prayers. You've got to know the heart of God, and you've got to know the mind of Christ. John 15:16 concluded in that passage we just read. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Either Jesus is lying or there's something that we are amiss in. Whatever you ask my Father in my name, he will give it to you. I don't think Jesus is a liar. Who has asked for that cool thing and never got it? But I can honestly stand here and talk to you today and tell you that I know God's heart's desire for this community. I can honestly sit here, stand here and tell you, I know God's heart's desire for you. I know that he's called you by name. I know that he has a purpose for you. And I know that although in all the positive things I can say that his heart is for you and nothing can be against you, that he sits back at times and he is grieved because of what he sees. I know that. Because I know that when I start to act out and then I've got to get on my trampoline and I've got to yell at God because of my infallible, my fallible ways. Is that the word? My, my, my brokenness. I let that out and I've got to give it to God. He tells me in those moments his heart for this community. He tells me when he breaks me to that point that I have to let go of all that I am. He whispers into my heart, there's another one for you, Steve. There's another one for your church. There's another one. There's another role for you. There's another part for you. There's a school for you, for example. There's a drug rehabilitation center for you, for example. There's a building program for you, for example. I know in the, most, in the depths of that 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 is not me because I will run from work every day of the week. I've worked. I've worked enough hours in my life to realize that when I work, I'm a workaholic. I know that. And I don't want to be that person. So why would I want to load myself down with more things to do unless it was the heart of God? You see, we as a church, we need to right now, as we stand to our feet and we do communion with God, we need to be real with God and we need to ask God to break through whatever the walls are in our lives 
that are stopping us from hearing his heart for our community. Because his heart is to set them free. His heart is to bring them into the fold. His heart is to see that they will not perish on that day when he rides in triumphantly. You want to know God's heart, you need to read the word. You want to know God's heart, you've got to get the inside of who Jesus is. And when you do so, your prayers will align with what he's praying. Your prayers will align with his heart for this world. And then Jesus will answer with the answer that we are asking for. Let's stand to our feet. Jesus, I, I'm broken before you even right now. I'm broken before you. And I sense across this room there are people right now who are just wanting you. Come and have your way by your Holy Spirit right now. You are the master builder, but you are the great demolisher when it comes to our walls. We have put walls around our heart, Lord God. There are areas in our life we do not want to touch. But if we are going to ever break through into what you've called us to, Lord, we have to trust that you are a loving Father who will lead us into all understanding that by truth we will be set free. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to knock down the walls in our life and I ask you to replace the lies in our heart with your truth right now. Because as sons, we get to bask in your glory. We get to walk out the privileges of your name. But I don't want to be an immature son. I don't want to be under a guard like, like a young child. I want to walk into the kingdom. I want to be able to write checks that you fulfill. I want to be able to set vision that only you can. I want to step into the fullness of your kingdom's glory. And I want to see my friends, my family, my community. I want to see them set free. So before you now, as we take communion, Lord Jesus, as a skilled surgeon, would you remove the lies from our heart? And as the loving Father that you are, would you replace them with your ultimate truth? Help us to renew our minds so that we may walk and talk in constant unity with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died upon the cross, that in your body I find freedom. In your body I find my healing. In your body I am set free. Let us take and eat and give thanks to our Lord today. Jesus, some of those words that I shared this morning would have hurt. Right now we bring them towards you, our feelings, our emotions. Even the thought that we have let you down. I just bring them to you, Lord. We just give them to you as an offering now and say, take them, take them away, destroy them. Forget them on our behalf. Forgive us and grant us repentance, Lord, by your grace. We may, we may walk in the mind of Christ and in the fullness of understanding who we are in him. Thank you for your blood that you wash us and cleanse us from every sin. And by your grace now, Lord, would you help us to overcome the very temptations of our core and to walk in victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us drink in thanksgiving today. Father, we give you glory right now. What do you want to do with it? Just put your hands out like you're receiving something from God. I want you to de deeply breathe in your nose and hold the breath for two or three seconds. Another word for the Holy Spirit is breath. 
I'm going to do it again, but this time as you breathe out, I want you to breathe it on your hands. I want you to picture, I want you to picture that the Holy Spirit is just warming your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, anoint these hands to bring your healing. The practicalities of your gospel, Jesus, is if you steal, then go and make things with your hands. It makes sense. Where we have hurt you, Jesus, our hands represent our hands represent the place where we change. Right now, anoint our hands to bring your healing and life beneath every circumstance. Open our ears, be led by your Spirit. And may we have the boldness of your kingdom to set people free. Hallelujah. Thanks, Jamie.